0: Well, hello there, and thanks for finding us. I'd like to welcome you today to the Recycler Secret Podcast. Regardless if this is your first time or if you've been here since the beginning, it's my pleasure to engage your earballs, not your eyeballs. This podcast is an open and candid interview with an industry professional who specializes in recycling or a subset of materials management. During our time together, I hope to dive deep into the person, their organization, and most importantly, how to duplicate their success, which I broadly call the magic. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome today's guest. Ladies and gentlemen, we are sitting here today with Bill Gurn, the manager of facilities and maintenance operations at Hayworth, one of the largest furniture manufacturers for office furniture in, in the United States and globally. And we're going to talk today about Hayworth's recycling operation, Uh, Some of the crazy things they do and what they've done to make an impact here, uh, not only here in the United States, but globally, uh, starting back to 1993 when they first built their recycling center. So, Bill, take a minute and tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, Tell us something that we might not know, and let's kind of dig into the history after that.
1: Well, a little bit about me. I've been at Hayworth for over 38 years. I actually came here out of the clothing business, kind of weird. And what you may not know about me is my background is I graduated college of commercial artists. So um, how did that all fall into the maintenance and recycling world? I have no idea. Um, sometimes I tell folks that the Lord leads in mysterious ways, you know, uh, how you end up where you are. So You just never know. So here I am. Um, and uh, I might share with you that our path to... Uh, recycling actually started off with my first footstep on the Hayworth property. Really not so much as when we built the Recycle Center in 92 and opened it in 93, but um, Hayworth, good Dutch company that it is, very conservative. um, We were doing all the right business things when we opened our first building here in 1980 when I came here. So, uh, Recycling uh, metals, steel and aluminum, bealing cardboard for the paper mills. Um, actually, Cardboard, uh, fabric up that went to Tennessee, where it was ground up and made into a matting that went in the trunks and underneath the carpet automobiles. So, uh, kind of a recycler before they called it recycling. I guess I would say I'm not quite sure where the terminology recycling came from, but I don't think we were using it in 1980. So,
0: right. And so it was really about waste diversion then. It was about saving money by putting things in other places. It was good Dutch conservative business. Um,
1: you know, I've, I've told folks before that uh, um, our founding father G.W. Hayworth used to call me up and he'd go oh, Bill, what are you doing? And uh, kind of strange. you got, you got the owner of the company, you know, a fairly good-sized company then, but uh, not anywhere near as big as it is today, but uh, chairman of the board call you up and say, what are you doing? Do you have a minute to spend with me? And I'd say, what do you want, Jerry? And he'd say, meet me down by the plant to office door. And uh, I knew what we were gonna do when I got there we went dumpster diving he'd go through we'd go through look at the dumpsters and he'd go why are we throwing this piece of board away can't we make a shelf out of that or can't we do something out of that so um, the ground was the ground floor was set for us you know a long time ago before we really got into what you would call recycling
0: so let's paint a picture about where you guys are today so Bring us kind of through the, the, the core history, kind of the bullet points, and, and tell us where the company is today in terms of who you are globally and, and what your mission is and what you guys do on a day-to-day.
1: Uh, we, we really started down the path with, uh, with GW's son, Dick. Dick and I had a conversation back in 1992 about how we could be more environmentally friendly, have a better sustainability story it was starting to become an issue in the furniture industry. And you know, I really think that it it, it kind of started there to some degree in the business world because we dealt with more architects and designers. They were a little more focused on sustainability and doing the right things. So being the furniture people that we are and dealing with those types of folks, um, it kind of pushed, I think, our industry, you know, maybe before a lot of other ones uh, down that path. So Dick and I had a conversation about uh, how we could be better at what we do. And at the same time, we also understood it would give us a better handle on our waste streams. And uh, he saw the, he was the visionary that saw the light and gave us the money to build our 19,000 square foot recycle center. So, you know, we opened that up in, in January of 1993. Um, intent was to recycle material that came from our plants at least in West Michigan um, even though we've got plants around the world but we started there and our first two oper- years of operation we processed 18 million pounds which is, sounds like an awful lot is an awful lot um, but nowhere near what we do today you know so um, we re- started to recycle um, back then um, I think the big push um, came in about 2008, mm-hmm. and I say 2008 because um, we were probably 80% um, down the path of being landf- zero landfill, okay? Uh, goal of ours uh, was not to send anything to the landfill, but once you get to about 80% or so, it was like everything slowed way down, you know? Came real hard. Well... It was hard to convince the eleven plants we have around the country that they all needed to buy in and needed to be able to do this. You
0: know? so, so let's pause there for a second just to kind of paint that broader picture. You know, Hayworth has plants globally in, in Germany, Portugal, China, India. Switzerland, Italy. Right, a couple yep, other countries. Yep. And then domestically here as well. So how many plants are there domestically? We've got 11 in, the, in North America. Okay. So there's 11 here in North America. And of those 11 facilities, is there a recycling facility in each one?
1: No. Okay. Um, I, I say no as far as a recycling facility in the context of what we do here. You know, they have processing operations where they have vertical balers. They'll bail material for transportation. But one of the things that I've found since we opened the recycle center in '93 and, and started to pull our other facilities together is that if you're truly going to head down that path, you have to have a, a lot of material, um, and you have to pull it together. Um, one small plant, I say small, and our plants are three, four hundred thousand square feet. You know, right. to, to me that's small. I got a, I got a a million and a half square feet of manufacturing and distribution here just in Holland. But to leave one of those on its own or to be even smaller than that, you can't get anybody to service you because you don't have enough quantity. It's hard for um, a supplier, you know, that deals in recyclables to stop by a facility and pick up
0: two bales of cardboard. So you're utilizing the hub and spoke philosophy that.
1: Yes, and what we try to do there, and we're also conscious of our carbon footprint, so we don't ask any of our plants to send us anything um, separately or on its own. We use the back of a trailer that's coming back to Holland that might have 10 feet on the back to put 10 foot of recyclables on the back. So we're not making a special trip to to Mississippi to our chair plant to, to bring
0: material back up here. But we bring a lot of stuff back. Right. And so centralizing it here into this facility, it gives you broader control and in, in size, right? It gives you mass. It gives us a lot of things. It gives us brokering power, number
1: one. Um, you know, I can load a semi, a cardboard, you know, twice a month instead of two bales. Um, allows us to bring a lot of uh, stretch wrap, shrink wrap, um, plastics um, together and pool it together. Um, the other thing is... Um, we recycle a lot of metal, a okay? um, million dollars worth of scrap metal a year, gives me a lot of leverage with my recyclers to go to them and say, listen, you got a big hunk of our business, you're going to help me recycle this. Find a place for this material, you know? So we really only function with a, a couple of suppliers. Um, uh, and some of them, and actually one of them, we even partnered up. I actually was recycling uh, fabric before, um, before one of them was in the fabric business, and they started to get some of that material. So the two of us pooled our stuff together, made a lot lots larger uh, fabric commodity, uh,
0: and they actually broker it for me, and I still get paid for it. So. So when you say suppliers, you, you know, another term for that is your vendors, your downstream vendors yep. that you're using um, in the traditional marketing worlds. So have you found that by isolating it down to a few versus having a, a broad group of them gives you better leverage?
1: Absolutely. Okay. I mean, if I'm doing... Um, last year I did $1.8 million worth of uh, recycled material uh, in revenue. You do that kind of business, gives you a lot of... Leverage. Now, I'm not going to say the it, it makes everybody pay you, because it doesn't. No. Okay, um, I said I did 1.8 million. I spent over 1.1 million to recycle material that didn't pay. Okay, and you might wonder, why would you pay that kind of money to uh, recycle material that doesn't pay? Um, before 2009, our th- our business practice was. I'll pay to recycle it as long as it doesn't cost me more than it would to landfill. But in 2009, uh, we made a major step, and that was to be landfill-free. And all of our operations in uh, North America, China, and India, it's hard to believe that China and India were, came right along with us, but um, second week of April of 2009, we went landfill-free in those, um, those regions. Um, Europe joined us. The... Uh, second week of may of 2012 so once we made that commitment and went to uh, landfill free um, we didn't have any options I mean it was um, it was re- you either recycle it or you hang on to it and um, it was interesting I just did a i do a lot of company tours because a lot of our customers that come here want to see our recycle center and see if we really do what we say we do and one of them was a customer. This this week uh, was really uh, up on on recycling and sustainability. And when I brought him back from the plant tour, um, our chairman of the board, Matthew Hayworth, happened to go by, and he and he knew you know what I was doing. And he went, "Did that guy tell you that he's just a little bit uh, a little bit into recycling?" Um, and she said, "Yeah." He says, "Did he tell you the story about powder paint?" Um, and the story is, is that uh, in 2009 we lingered about a year past the the downturn. Furniture industry lagged, so we didn't get hit with the economic downturn until '09. We had already declared ourselves landfill free. I lost my my ability to get rid of powder paint. I stored powder paint for two years. We recycle today. We recycle 700,000 pounds last year in powder paint. I stored 47 semi loads in a warehouse that we paid rent on for two years until I found a place that I could broker powder paint. We'd already made the commitment. I said to our, ce- I said to our CEO then, I said, you know, he asked me, uh, he's Italian and his Italian broke. He went, Bill, really re- are you really uh, storing powder paint? And I said, Franco, I said, yeah. I said, you know, we went landfill free, we can't go back. You know, you can't be landfill-free part of the time and part of the time not. So
0: So let's pause there for just a second. So there's a difference between landfill-free and zero-waste. And a lot of different people define things a lot of different ways. So why don't you take us through Hayworth's definition of landfill-free?
1: Landfill-free means we don't put anything in in, in the landfill, okay? Zero-waste means you don't produce any waste. It's kind of a funny story that goes along with that because our same CEO, Franco, when we went landfill, when we went landfill free, he announced at a management briefing session with all the managers across our corporation, we have a meeting once a month. He stood in front of all of them and said, I want you to all to know that we're a zero waste company now. And I went, what did you just say? So afterwards, I walked up to him and I went, Franco, I said you got to understand. I said, if you're going to share this, you have to understand we're zero landfill. I said, zero landfills means we don't put anything in a landfill. Zero waste means we don't produce any waste. So um, we I educated him in relationship to that. But to me, that's the definition between the two.
0: Right. So there's those out there that argue that, you know, a certain percentage of your material goes to incineration. Yep. And that ash, of course, then goes to landfill. So you'll always have a percent or two landfill.
1: There... You know, there's a hierarchy in the recycling world, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I put uh, burying it in the landfill at the bottom of the bowl, okay? Absolutely. Um, one step out of that landfill grave is what I would call uh, waste energy, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and waste energy is, is where you take waste, burn it, and, and an off-all from that is to make steam to make electricity, correct? Right? Um, which is a recycling attribute in itself as far as I'm concerned, you know, yes, you burn it once and it's gone, okay? Uh, We also do cogeneration. Cogeneration is a little different process and people don't understand a lot of times what the difference between waste energy and cogen is. Cogen is where you make electricity as your business and your fuel may be anything. It could be, it could be oil, it could be natural gas, it could be coal, And in our case, you know, we do cogeneration on the other side of the state, and it's wood. And it's it's wood waste. Um, Little different than waste energy, where their business is gathering waste streams up, and instead of burying it in the ground, they still make electricity. Um, And then you have all the layers of recycling. And I say layers because a lot of folks think of recycling as all one, and it really isn't. There is much, there are layers in recycling just like there is in cogeneration or there is in waste energy. And I say that because if you stop and think about it, there are different layers in recycling where you, re, you recycle material that gets made into res- material again. Steel, perfect example, aluminum, okay? Where you melt that down, make steel out of it again. Perfect example, and I hope you see the humor in this, a perfect example is paper. Okay, People think, oh, I take all my newspaper, all my magazines, all my cardboard, and I send it off to the paper mills, and they make paper again. OK, what kind of paper do they make? Sometimes it's white paper. Sometimes it's more cardboard. Sometimes it's toilet paper and tissue. What happens when you use that the next time? You don't recycle that again. So where is the difference between taking paper and making toilet paper for one-time reuse, at least in most cases that I'm aware of, you only use it once, um, versus taking um, uh, a commodity that you cannot find a home for and reuse it to make steel again or aluminum again and make electricity out of it where you're saving natural resources, you're not burning coal or natural gas, so to me there's a Hierarchy that stops at the landfill progresses up and actually goes past the the recycling scenario. You hardly hear it anymore. The three R's. Because yep. the ultimate, you know, goal in in is to get to a place where actually you don't recycle anymore, right. and that's because you don't produce any waste. Correct. You know. Now reduce. is that? It's and I price told price. our CEO that when he when I shared with him the difference between. Um, zero landfill and zero waste, you know, I said the ultimate goal
0: is to produce no waste. Is it achievable? Probably not. So you said something there. You said layers. And, and so layers brings me back to best beneficial reuse. So, and, in, in, you know, I kind of gave you a little jab there with the, the ash, but you and I both know that fly ash can be used as a filler. And so not all waste energy plants or, or incineration plants have that landfill use. Some of those use that as as a, uh, as a filler, as an aggregate and other things. So, but layers ties back to best beneficial reuse. And, you know, as you said, you know, you can take clothing and and you can use that to create power, or you can take clothing and you can use that to create rags. So it's all about best fit and beneficial reuse and highest value for the product. Right. I mean, that's the goal.
1: Absolutely. A few years ago, I, um, I, I actually flew out to Um, Boston and did a a session out there for some uh, business uh, affiliates of ours out there that we have sold product to and did a a morning and afternoon session on zero landfill and I scared them all right off the bat Um, I walked up to the the front of their group and said I'll make you um, I'll make you zero landfill in two minutes you can all go play golf or whatever you want for the rest of the day Send it all to Waste Energy Facility. Burn right. it all. Yep. You know, you can burn it all. Is that the right thing to do with it? No. To your point, you know, you look for the best I- end use. I mean, we want to take our material and turn it over and over and over again. The problem is, is that there are some things in our society that we produce as waste that you can't do anything with. Mm-hmm. Last year, we recycled 49 million pounds our recycle center. For over a decade I had done over 50 million pounds. Um, last year we were four million pounds less than we were the year before. You know? Why? Because we have a program to reduce our waste. So we actually reduced our amount of material by, by four million pounds. You know um, a great opportunity happens through recycling. Um, but uh, how you use that material and and where you go with it. But there was a portion of that I can't find a home
0: for. Absolutely.
1: You know, in our case, um, another little story, I'm great on stories. When we first went, um, actually it was before we even went info free Um, and maybe I can share something else with you, is that I'm a firm believer that um, good recycling programs start at the top. You have to have support from the top. We got a new Vice President of Global Manufacturing in 2008 that came from General Motors. Came here in August. Third day he was here. Kevin Bailey called me to his office, wanted to meet me, introduce himself. And the first thing that came out of his mouth was, when can you be landfill free? And I said, when did you talk to Franco, our CEO, and he told you that that was our goal and objective? And uh, we kind of chuckled about it but I knew that's where it came from came from our CEO told the brand new vice president. That was one of the things that he had to help us push. Okay. My answer to him was I got us to 80%, but I can't get the rest away without your help. So the next day he sent, well actually what he said to me was, he said, when do you think we can be there? And I said, at the end of Oh nine, he looked at me and he said, can we make it by the end of second quarter? I said, maybe with your help. So the next morning, he sends an email to all of our heads of all of our manufacturing operations in North America and says, your goal and objective for 2009 is to help Bill be landfill-free by the end of first quarter. Not second quarter, not the end. But the amazing thing was, my phones, my emails immediately started ringing up because the the vice president of global operations made that a goal and objective of his staff to be landfill free, okay? So it, it put a lot of emphasis on, you know, where we needed to go. So time pressure, he created time pressure Absolutely. to help came, the goal. Absolutely, came from the top. I couldn't do it, Right. I, you know, I, we, I drug us down the path. We were 80, 90% there. I had 10% to go yet, you know, couldn't help push it over the top. But my point being, and I, I kind of got off skew a little bit here, regardless of what you do, when we went down that path, I had, you know, plant managers coming to me and going, what do I do with the stuff I don't know what to do with? You know, what do I do with the lunch sacks that employees, your members, we call them members, bring to work with them? So I said, oh, why don't we just say, you, you brought it, you take it home with you. If you brought it in the door, you take it home. Our HR people had some issue with that (laughs) said you can't do that you know we're not going to make our people take their garbage home Um, so we had to find a place for it so the bottom line is we send less than one percent of all of our material off to a waste energy facility but it's the stuff that I can't find a home for it's the baggie that our member brought their sandwich in with it's the candy bar wrapper or the potato chip wrapper that you can't find a home but there are a lot of things that we find homes for that a lot of people don't mess with and that's water bottles and all that kind of stuff.
0: So so let's pause there for a second, you talked about the lunchroom there for a second, what is Hayworth doing to divert food waste? I know you have internal cafeterias, I know that you have food that comes in from the outside, I know that you have a bazillion different conference rooms and meeting rooms that you have lunch catered into all the time, how do you guys deal with food waste? Um, let me kind of roll that into not just food waste, okay? Okay. Um, We're organic, so let's take it well, a little broader. Well, we
1: compost. We mm-hmm. don't do it on site. Um, we do it over, to, uh, um, over at Republic's facility three miles from here, um, over to the composting that's on that facility over there. Um, it's really easy to do it out of our food prep, out of our cafeteria, okay? It's easy to work with our supplier there where it starts to get a little difficult, and I'm gonna tell you that recycling in itself gets difficult in the corporate office world. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna surprise a oh, lot absolutely. of folks and say, it, my easiest place to recycle is in manufacturing. You know? And I say that because in manufacturing, you produce at a given area a given product, and you have a given waste stream. So whether it's steel or whether it's aluminum, whether it's wood, if it's the box people, they're doing cardboard, it's all isolated to one commodity. And it's easy to say, here's your bin, put your stuff in this bin, um, and then over here um, in the lunchroom, you've got a waste energy container, and that's where you put your baggie and your straw and the stuff that we can't find a place for recycle. when you go to the office, okay, sometimes it's like herding cats, okay? Well, what I, I always put them into three contexts. Um, you've got the folks in the offices that really want to recycle. They'll do anything, mm-hmm. you know. They'll walk uh, 200 feet to put it in the right bin, okay? Then you have the people that um, will recycle if you make it easy for them. It's not a big deal, um, and, and they'll recycle. And then you have the members or the employees that, no matter what you do, you almost have to drag them to do the right thing. Right. So when we moved in our corporate office 10 years ago, um, everyone got a basket, but it's a wire basket and it's a recycling basket. You don't put anything in there that isn't paper recyclable. And the first question I got was, well, what am I supposed to do with my apple core or my banana peel? And I, we set up recycle stations throughout our office where you can drop off everything from cardboard to office paper to composting to even a waste energy piece. Then we try to teach everyone that works in the office to put stuff in the right bins. And you got a little grumpy, you know, well, I have to walk all the way over there to put my stuff in instead of just throwing it under my desk. And, you know, my answer to them was, uh, do you sit in your office all day long? Do you, not, do you not go to meetings? Do you not go to use the restroom? Do you not go to, the, to to lunch? You know, do you go to the cafeteria? You walk right by all these places. So take your stuff with you.
0: And drop it in the right bin. Because the only thing I'm going to pick up in your office is, paper. is office paper. So let's pause there for a second. And, and I've had that conversation in, in a lot of consultative natures with, with different people. And that, by far, is really the best way to do office recycling, is to say that bin by your desk is for paper. Everything else, go out by the copy machine or in this common area, and here's a three or a five or a six bin system with all these different other commodities that you can deal with. Because if you allow them to put a water bottle in their lunch pail or not in their lunch pail, but in their trash container at their desk, then all of a sudden you've got a half drink coffee cup and then you've got an apple core and it just compounds, right? Absolutely. So if, if you break it down to KISS philosophy, keep it simple, stupid, and you say, listen, this is it. It's all you get. Anything else? There's that five bin system out there in the hallway. And that's the way that it works. See, and I don't pick up. If you put something non-recyclable in your
1: container at your desk, I don't pick it up. Right. So yeah. tomorrow when you got fruit flies all over because the banana peel was in your basket and we didn't pick it up, I'll tell all your neighbors that it's all your fault that there's fruit flies in in the in your office area. So.
0: We did that with a uh, a major manufacturer in their offices. We called it the basket of shame. And they were in four pod cubes and what we did, we had the janitorial staff if you put the wrong item in that container, they would set it on top of your desk. They would move your keyboard back and set it dead square in the center of your desk so that unless you were the first person that came in the morning, everyone else in that pod saw that you had failed. And they called it the basket of shame. There you go. And it's that peer pressure, right? It's, it's motivating people by removing the ability to do something the wrong way and then by giving them not necessarily a stick, but a, a negative reinforcement when they do it the wrong way so that their peers help push them down the right path, right? We have to monitor it. Absolutely. I mean, there's some,
1: there's some folks that continually push it to the, you know, um, to the brink. I've got some folks that will put everything in a basket and then they go sort it themselves at the end of the night because they are too stubborn to go put it in the right bin at the right time. At the right time. So, you know. Um, but we still audit. Once a month, um, our janitorial service, when they go through at night, they tell me uh, by office who's naughty and who's nice. And right. if somebody doesn't play well, then we'll stop by, visit them, uh, tutor them on the proper... Pro-
0: Provide pro- that education. Yes. So, Bill, let's let's talk about wood for a second. Engineering, engineered wood makes up a huge segment of your downstream. And you talked a little bit uh, a moment ago about cogen um, using that wood uh, to create power in a specific facility that's designed around that. And, and we kind of went down that path and talked about the difference between a waste of energy facility and a cogen facility. And, and I appreciate you taking the time to explain that because that's important for people to understand. How, how big of a, a, a downstream is that for you? And, and are there other markets besides cogen? The
1: answer is no. Um, it's a real problem for us. Um, and I think something that we were going to touch base on is the fact that um, about four years ago um, Hayworth and uh, Right Place out of Grand Rapids, which is a nonprofit that works with manufacturing in West Michigan, we teamed up and started a zero zero landfill group. Um, and basically it was set up uh, so we could meet every other month and work on hard to recycle material and items. It actually s- was a spin-off of uh, suggestion I had with uh, Western Michigan University School of Engineering um, they had a initiative for a few years because it was government-funded f- they had a grant uh, called Green Manufacturing and they worked with engineering students to um, work in the green side of in the engineering world and I had thrown in their lap uh, powder paint because mm-hmm. uh, there's a big issue with what to do with uh, Uh, powder paint from the from the uh, painting industry Uh, not just furniture but automotive uses it. just about anybody that that paints nowadays paints with powder because it's environmentally friendly doesn't give off VOCs Um, anyway um, we had met a few times with some of the manufacturers in West Michigan and mainly out of the furniture industry to be honest Um, it's kind of strange why you know, the Steel Cases, the Herman Millers, the Trenways, the Hans, the Hayworths, you know, all care about recycling and the environment a lot more than some of the other industries. And we had met and started to talk about looking for ways to find homes for powder paint. And then that kind of morphed into the group that we have today that works out of, uh, um, of Right Place in Grand Rapids where we meet every other month and us, the same players... You know, we can all live in the same room. Uh, we work on hard to, hard to find places for material to go, wood being one. Right. And um, I keep poking the, the DEQ to work with us and help as well, because the problem that we have, I think in recycling in general, it's not just wood or powder paint, it's places for material to go. Mm-hmm. It is so limited. In the, in the state of Michigan, we only have one place for wood waste, furniture wood waste, okay, um, for, it to get, for it to go because it's the only place permitted for it to go, and that resource is very limited. Right. Um, I'm rather fortunate because I was on the forefront of approaching um, the folks at the power plant and saying, okay, let's work with EQ. Can we make this happen? Can we do, if we grind our stuff and bring it to you, you know, can you use it? Um, consequently, um, being on the ground floor gives me an insight to uh, um, working with them and, and when they have limited amounts of material that they can take, mine's always first. Right. So it's a problem child for the, for the rest of the furniture industry or anybody else that
0: produces wood waste to find homes for that when there's,
1: right now there's only one.
0: Right. And it it really comes down to that engineered wood. I mean, you've got glue lambs in there. You've got formicas on top of it. You've got multiple layers, right? And a lot of that's changed over the years as well. So, you know, I think
1: we have a better opportunity today today than we had 10 years ago and definitely more than we had 30 years ago. Because engineered wood, uh, MFD, particle board, whatever you want to use, um, at one time, it had a lot of formaldehyde in it. Mm-hmm. It's almost pretty much all gone nowadays. Right. They use you know other stuff in the board. The glue resins um, um, are much more environmentally friendly, and actually, the laminate that goes on it is paper driven nowadays. Okay, it's got a little bit of plastic in it, but it's and it's just like anything else. Um, what used to be, and this is an exaggeration. It was never an eighth of an inch thick, but now it's a sixteenth of an inch thick or a 32nd of an inch thick. So the bottom line is, is that it's gotten really a lot thinner. So it leaves us in a better opportunity where the material is more wood than anything else, mm-hmm. but it's still, it's still hard to find a place for. Right, and in different parts of the country that doesn't exist, does it? You go south of us, you go to Indiana and they put it on farmer's fields. Right. They grind it up, sawdust, um, compost it, they do a lot of things. So it, it differs from waste, from state to state, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, you know, we're in a great opportunity, you know, to look at new places, n- new things that you can do with materials, not just wood, powder paint, gasification plants. Um, I'm a big proponent of um, the state economic development um, part of our government to look at and work outside of our state to bring in entrepreneurs that will uh, use our recycled material whether it's plastics, PVC's, cardboard, paper, wood, powder paint, whatever. Um, I I think that's an important direction that we need to take. Whether the state does it, I think the federal government could do some of that. Absolutely. You know, promote um, businesses that use recycled material. Especially today with what has happened you know, in the last two years with the China market, Absolutely. you know, that went away, you know, pretty much all but went away. Um, really opened some eyes. Yep. Because for a long time, it was just easy. We put it on the boat, sent it to China, and they did something with it. Right. Okay. When they stopped taking it, we didn't stop producing it. No. Nope. So now the big question is, where does it go? And we need a lot of help in the recycling industry um, to find new opportunities
0: for all that recycled material. Just like you've done with the powder coat. So each one of your plants has a recycle champion in it is a a tag phrase that that Hayworth uses. Talk about that for a second.
1: When we went zero landfill, we knew that we were gonna have questions. One of the things that happens in all business, but in our business, we constantly develop new product, made of new materials, different things. Um, I just had one in Bruce, Mississippi with with packaging. You know we went from um, and I'm not saying we don't use any boxes anymore but we, everything used to be boxed and then we used to build some chairs and we call it blanket wrap but in the blanket wrap they put a blanket or a moving blanket over the chair so they didn't have to put it in a box. But Then you had to bring the blanket back. Well we progressed into a thing now where we're going to bag chairs in a recyclable bag. Mm-hmm. A plastic bag that you can grind up and make back into plastic pellets again. So. Um, We knew we were going to have these kinds of changes, you know, down the road. So what we asked is each of our plants to have someone that had a passion for recycling, not that someone that wanted to get out of work, okay. It's gotta be somebody that really cares to be a representative of their plant that could meet with us on a bi-monthly basis. And we could come together on a WebEx and say, okay, here's the changes in our world now from the recycle center, because, um, not everything stays the same. Um, You can put this in this box now. Um, You couldn't put it in there before. Uh, We got a new material that you're gonna be seeing. We can recycle that, but it's gotta be kept separate. You can't put it in, you know, you can't put the chair bag in with a clear wrap, but I can recycle both. I just gotta have them separate. So we knew we needed to have that. So we developed a thing we call champions. Yep. Reps from all the plants. We can get together on a bi-monthly basis, talk about new things, how changes that are happening, and they can also ask questions, and they can also complain. You know, we use a lot. We use a lot of Gaylord boxes. You know, boxes on skids, big boxes. We yep. send them to our plants so they can put stuff in, so they can go. You know, last week we asked for a stack, and we didn't get as many as we should have got, or we were two days late, and we had to hold our material because none of our facilities have waste disposal services. The mm-hmm. um, fact of it is, I pulled the compactors out of all of them. when they were built in the '80s. Everybody had a compactor, everybody had a roll off, they put all their material in there. We don't use them anymore. The only place I have compactors today is in the Recycle Center, and that's the compact material that uh, we don't bail, but we still
0: recycle. Tell me about how Hayworth encourages their tier one, tier two suppliers to get on the bandwagon. I'm only hesitating, because we're probably not the best at it. Um, but there's still a motivation that goes out
1: to them, right? We. We bring them here, Uh, you know. Suppliers come here, Uh, dealers come here, Uh, customers come here, designers come here. Um, They see what we do, we share with them what we do. Um, Probably our bigger driver is that we we buy recycled content and then um, we use that in our product. I can't say that we go back to our suppliers and beat on them to be recyclers as well. Okay. You know, we'll show them, we'll lead by example, um, but we don't really have a goal where it says everybody that we buy stuff from has to be zero landfill.
0: So let's skip over to that recycled content again. Hayworth has a chair called the Zodi Chair, and the Zodi Chair was designed to be refurbished. I mean, that was the core design feature of
1: it. Not so much refurbished, recycled. Recycled. That means it can come apart. You Mm -hmm. can tear it apart. Um, What we made is a a promise to everybody that bought it that at the end of life, if you don't want to do it, you can send it back to us and we'll recycle it for you. We'll, We'll take it apart. We'll recycle it. It's really not that big a deal for us. Right. Because we're landfill free and we have places for all that stuff to go anyway. So... If we manufactured it, we had scrap when we manufactured it so we can't take it back. So, yeah, Um, I'd I'd almost I I hate to belittle that piece of it. But, you know, there's hardly anything today
0: that anybody makes that you really can't recycle. Right. So talking about product design in in doing that. Hayworth also designed a three-compartment bin called the X-Series, and they also have a removable drawer system that goes in your desks for waste management. And so you've taken that, you know, what a lot of office furniture manufacturers, you know, use and say, well, here's another piece of furniture that matches everything else that will help you get down this path, right? It's kind of interesting how that all came about, to be honest with you. We built our new
1: corporate office 10 years ago. We knew we were zero landfill. We knew that we wanted everybody to only put recyclables at their desks. So in the building of our building, um, I hate—I don't want to necessarily take credit for this, but from the facility side or the recycle side, uh, we said we got to help everybody recycle. So I actually have general maintenance people that work for me. One of them happened to be a really good carpenter and we actually built all those bins ourselves and uh, put uh, what's called Slim gyms underneath them, wastebaskets basically, mm-hmm. underneath each one of the slots, and we put it in the office and uh, told everybody that this is where you drop off your stuff. Well, it didn't take very long for our product development people to see those and go, where'd you buy those? And we said, we didn't, we made those, you know? Well, doesn't anybody make those? No. Well, and then we had customers that went, where can we get those? And it actually developed into a product. Because
0: so. at that point in time, they were really, you know, it was more metal, non-furniture-looking three-bin systems that were on the market. And you wanted something that looked more like furniture. Yeah. We're well, we wanted.
1: We're very design-sensitive here because of all the interior design people that come here. Mm-hmm. So it had to fit the environment. Yep. So you just didn't stick metal wastebaskets out or plastic wastebaskets with a with a sticker on. So we made the cabinets that the same bins kind of go in. Uh, it just looks a whole lot nicer. Right. And, it, and then on top of each one of those slots um, we have graphics that show you know what you
0: can drop in the bin. Bill you know recycling is a big part of it but it's you know it's about community, it's about teamwork, it's about infrastructure, it's about bringing your folks together. And I know Hayworth does that on a number of different ways. And, and to kind of start wrapping some things up here, social services is big and alive here at Hayworth. I mean, you guys do uh, a fantastic bottle redemption program that you turn back into uh, you know, a fundraising mechanism for social service. You do the United Way umbrellas in a lot of your different facilities. Talk about how that helps drive the team. Well,
1: one of the things that happened was is that when we developed the recycle center we went zero landfill we had preached that's where the company needed to go we started to get our members our employees started to go um well we got some stuff that's hard to recycle too can you help us you know so we took a another step with it and said you know geez um yeah if we recycle it you can bring it here to recycle as well um someplace along the line um, uh, we found all these materials that members had, some of it we had in our plants as well, water bottles and, and, and deposit bottles and stuff like that that, you know, Americans, you know, will throw a dime away. Um, deposit bottle basically on carbonated beverages and we thought there's got to be something more to that. Um, so we actually, our big supporters of the United Way, We decided that uh, we'd put bins in. So, if you look around our facilities, both in the plants and the office, we have bins that are dual. One side says deposit, the other side says non deposit. And um, our members started donating their pop bottles and cans in one side, putting the water bottles and juice cans in the other side. And uh, then we said, well, okay, now what are we going to do with them? Because in the early days, everybody collected their pop bottles and had pizza parties, okay? Right. But this gave a great opportunity. And we started to sort that stuff, and um, right now um, we have a different organization, just in Holland here, Um, we collect those bottles and cans separately, Mm -hmm. and we have a different organization under the United Way umbrella that comes in here every month. So one month it might be Boys and Girls Club, it might be something for the elderly, might be Women in Transition. They come in every month, a different organization, uh, picks up the bottles and cans and they use them to fund their operation. You wonder if that makes a big deal. Um, Holosite alone gives over $4,000 worth of pop cans to United Way every year. But then on top of that, the non-deposit side, we've got containers at our recycle center so our members can drop off co-mingled glass, tin, and plastic, they can drop off newspapers. Um, we had electronics here so we worked with our electronics recycler and another case of being big at what we do and collecting a lot of material. Um, Everybody likes to recycle computers, but we recycle computers, computer screens, cell phones, boom boxes. I take television sets. I take uh, toasters, vacuum cleaners. If it's got cords or battery, we'll recycle it. Um, They can bring it here. Um, They can drop off CDs, CD cases, household batteries, magazines. I even have a box for the Holland Mission uh, we collect shoes, purses, and clothing. It doesn't have to be good. It can be worn out. Uh, they have a great program for the homeless in Michigan, and they sort through it and what they can reuse uh, for the homeless they do and the stuff that they can't reuse. They have two vertical bailers, and they bail it up, and they get a penny a pound, and it funds So Right, absolutely. So we really promote th- that whole thing with uh, not only just manufacturing but uh, our members in the, in the in the organization as well.
0: So what's the next step for Hayworth in change in the world what's the next what's the next level you've got this well zero waste today right actually I'm
1: I'm gonna cut you before before we go that step yeah let me tell you what recycling did for us okay? okay and because recycling isn't just good for the environment a great sustainability story it's really great for business too you know we went landfill free in 09 um i went home took a big deep breath and said man i'm home free now Uh, we're there all we got to do is keep doing what we're doing next day got up and i said there's got to be more to this than just being zero landfill we started a program we call high volume production waste so we take the information that we gather from our recycle center Mm -hmm. okay and you can't get it any other way so if you're in a if you're not really a recycler, you don't know what you're throwing out the door, you can't do this. We took that information, looked at it and said, let's look at the commodities. What are our biggest commodities that we're recycling? What is the most expensive material that we're, that we're recycling? What's the hardest stuff to get rid of that we're recycling? Let's track all that. Let's track it every month. And then let's share that with all of our manufacturing folks and say, Here's your goals and objectives to reduce the amount of material you send to the recycle center. How did I go from 53 million uh, two years ago to 49 million last year? Reduction of waste. And the only way you can reduce your volumes of waste um, is to know what you're throwing away. And then share it with the folks. And the incentive there is the dollar value to the company. Mm -hmm. Stop and think. Okay, Now, I'm going to give you an example, and I'm not there yet. Okay, I recycled, last year in North America, 700,000 pounds of powder paint. Okay, Now, great that I kept it on the landfill, and I'm going to tell you, a little plug here, we're the only furniture manufacturer in North America that's landfill-free. We're the only furniture manufacturer that recycles powder paint. No one else does. Why? First of all, it's extremely hard to find any place for it to go. And I do have two places. One of it's a real secret because it actually gets made into another product that isn't even painting. Okay, The rest of it, we pay dearly to have re-blended so other folks can use it. Um, extremely expensive ballpark. Ten times more than it costs a landfill to have it re-blended. Okay? Most corporations live and breathe on, on dollars and cents. Profit and loss yep. aren't willing to spend ten times as much to recycle powder paint as it costs you to put in the landfill. Um, another downer on why landfill is so cheap, because it does push people to companies to put it in a landfill versus mm-hmm. to recycle. Okay, stop and think. Seven hundred thousand pounds of powder, bare minimum costs at least three dollars a pound to buy as virgin material. I just, I just. 700,000 pounds away. That's that's 2.1 million dollars in powder paint that you bought that you didn't use. Right. Went out
0: the door as scrap.
1: If I could recycle or if I could reduce my waste by 50%, mm-hmm. that's the easiest million dollars I ever made. I didn't have to bu- I didn't buy any raw materials. I didn't have to make any product to sell. I just saved a million dollars. I put a million bucks in my pocket. So the bottom line is is that When you get to be a recycler, you can figure out what you're throwing away, what your waste is. Now you set goals
0: to reduce the amount of material that you produce. Now you start putting money back into your pocket. Well, and it goes back to that triple arrow, right? Reduce, reuse, recycle. It's the, the three R's that we've forgotten about over the years. And, you know, I use this example on this podcast quite a bit. I do a bunch of elementary school education. I'll walk into a school and I'll say, what do you want to recycle? And they go, plastic straws. You go, stop using them easy done what happened to the days when we use paper straws right where they go i was in a school a couple of weeks ago and they said uh, plastic water bottles i said how about if you gave every student a reusable water bottle on the first day of school and stop selling plastic water yeah, bottles at the school? absolutely there you go that's your three r's again right
1: well we've gotten into a um, uh, what's easy right what's, what's easiest easy. you know plastic bottle god forbid get done with it. you throw it away Right. OK, you got a reusable one. I got to take it home with me. I got to rinse it out. You know, I got to bring it back with me tomorrow. Uh, it's just easier to throw something away. Oh, absolutely.
0: Uh, you know, our brain, our, our mindset has to change, yep. you know, in relationship with what we do. But I mean, you said it quite well there, Bill. I said, you said, if I can cut that powder coat, you know, scrap out by half, I can keep a million dollars in the P&L of the company. And instead of trying to recycle it, which will cost me money, and transport it somewhere and turn it into something else, if we can figure out how to make that machine more efficient, effective, not have as much overspray, and we can keep that waste down, well, hell, that's easy money. Well, it helps your payback. Absolutely.
1: I mean, I I just look at the whole thing. I don't know. You know, I don't think most companies stop and think about you know that aspect mm-hmm. they, they think about reducing their waste but you can't get there unless you know what you're throwing away
0: no absolutely
1: so you know so i kind of cut you no no, you know, no you're fine you're in, fine into you know looking at that aspect because i think it's it, there is another step past recycling it is you know but reduce. you can't but you can't get there without doing it I'm, I'm i'm compelled to believe that you know you have to go down that path or you can't get there now You know, where do we want to go and what do we want to happen? Um, Spread the word. Right. Um, I think that's an important piece. Um, I'm fortunate enough that we're looked at to be, you know, a premier recycler, I think, in in the state of Michigan. Um, I've been fortunate enough to go to Boston and tell some folks on the East Coast. Um, Last week, Thursday, I was at uh, um, at, uh, Saginaw Valley. Um, State University, um, uh, some of our MRC. Sarah's over that way, and uh, and Katie from uh, durlass They're trying to develop a, a zero waste group over on that side. I went over and and uh, spoke to them about uh, zero waste in manufacturing, and I think it's spreading the word. You know, um, I have a tendency to poke the DEQ when I can about working with groups like the Michigan Recycling Coalition, but especially our zero landfill groups to find help us find places for material to go. If there's one piece that I, I think is very important it's imperative for our future, and that is to develop more sources for material to go, and that's because the more places that I have for material to go, um, it changes my world from I pay you to take it to where now I've got more than one place for it to go. They need it. They want it. Now they start taking, taking it for me for less money, yep. maybe no money. Yep. And someday they're going to pay me to take it because more than one of them want it. Right. You know, It becomes a value stream. Well, we're not dumb people. Okay. Anybody right. that takes recyclables that if they have the only source or one of a few sources, They can charge you to recycle it Mm -hmm. because they're the only place for it to go. If there's three or four people that want it, now it becomes a
0: sought-after commodity. So that's where I think we need to go. Bill, let's wrap things up here. Before we go, let's talk about how to get people connected with Hayworth. Uh, Hayworth on their website has a sustainability page, and there's some links there that talk about some broad brush stuff. But if they want to get in touch with you and they want to learn a little bit more in detail about what's going on and and maybe uh, learn from some of that vast knowledge wrapped up in your head, how do we, how do we put them together with you?
1: Um, real easy. Email. Um, Bill.gurn at Hayworth.com. Um, send me an email. Hayworth has been very supportive of um, not just recycling, but what I've been involved with. Um, you know, I've, I spent 15 years on the Michigan Recycling Coalition. Um, I'm part of a zero landfill y- users group out of Grand Rapids. Um they just gave me the day off and paid me to go to Saginaw Valley to spend uh, a morning over there answering questions and sharing and recycling in uh, manufacturing to be, you know, and I'm really honest about what it really takes to be, you know, um zero landfill. Cuz it's not free. No. Nope. So the bottom line is is we're very open to sharing, very open to, you know, working with other operations to help them be better at what they want to do recycle
0: and the last question of the day bill what's the best office furniture chair in the world right now fern actually it's fern you said something about Zodi.
1: our newest chair was fern a year ago at neocon um it's it's like sitting on a cloud you know can't beat it gotta love it
0: Bill Gern, thank you very much for being with us today and for taking time out to share your knowledge here on Recycler Secrets. Ladies and gentlemen, remember, as always, keep your earballs on me and your eyeballs on the road. Hey, one last thing before we part ways today. If you have enjoyed this episode and the ones before it, please do me a favor go to iTunes, give us a rating, share some comments, help promote us to the front of the pack. Uh, go ahead and share this out to your friends and colleagues. And let's help uh, bring some other special guests to us. So if you know of someone that you think would make a great guest on Recycler Secrets, go ahead, take a moment, send me an email, reach out to me on either the Instagram or the Facebook, and let me know what you're thinking. Thank you very much, and have a great day, folks.